This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 11. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. On today's episode, James Sumners, Sam Dominguez, and I discuss the question, should we be loyal to a particular congregation? The sponsor of today's episode is Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the Brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash campaigncapitolhill or on their website at campaigncapitolhill.com. There you'll find more information on how to join the march for God's word. This week's discussion was prompted by an email we received from a listener named Chris, who wrote, In my area, there seems to be an issue with what someone I know has called church loyalty. It seems that the Lord's Church in our area has developed a culture or mindset of hopping to a different congregation at the first sign of adversity. I'm not talking about doctrinal disputes or even disagreements over traditions. It seems like if any interpersonal issue comes up between people, the first response is for someone to leave and go somewhere else instead of working things out together. Is church loyalty an ideal that we should be striving for? If so, how do we cultivate this spirit in our local congregations so that we can work out our issues together? I would really be interested to hear you guys discuss this on the podcast. Thanks for all you do, Chris. Thanks, Chris, for that email. And now let's jump right into that discussion. Well, I think we we suffer in some areas of the world, uh, certainly in a lot of places in America, but but not in, not in other places. Uh, in Texas, certainly we suffer from this but certainly not in, in places in the Northeast or the Northwest or the West Coast in general, of having a multitude of congregations that we can choose from. And we, we tend to get this bizarre idea in our mind that these congregations are all like standalone instances of the Lord's Church. And so my responsibilities as a Christian— toward my brothers and sisters in Christ can be encapsulated into that instance of the congregation. And so if I then have a issue with someone at my home congregation, I can then say, well, you know what, this isn't worth it. You're not worth it. I'm just going to pack my bags and go to this other instance of the Lord's church. And then I no longer have this responsibility to you. And you know, we get that mindset because we have this multitude of congregations to choose from, and we forget that that person is still your brother in Christ. That mm-hmm. person is still your sister in Christ. You still have that obligation to be at peace with that person for as as much as, as is possible for you to manage. And when we when we have an attitude of I'm going to take my ball and go somewhere else, instead of saying. I love you, brother. I want this to be right before we sort out anything else. Mm -hmm. Then what we're effectively saying is, brother, I don't love you. And I don't care enough about you to do what God asked me to do. I'm just going to go somewhere else where I'm not confronted by that fact. And so it's it's not really an issue of church loyalty or uh, congregational uh, loyalty. It comes down to, do we love each other? the way God has instructed us to, and if so, why would we allow anything to keep us from making these things right? And certainly, why would we make it worse by going somewhere else? Mm -hmm. You know, how does that impact our ability to worship God? Do we ever think about that? Because 
um, what does the Bible say about it when we when we have uh, disagreements and when we have problems with other people and we let it go, we let it continue to fester and to to be something that divides us rather than making an opportunity to be something that builds us together and unites us so that we can come to a better relationship so that we can shine the light of God. What does the Bible say about that? It says that our that our our worship to him is hindered because we haven't dealt with the situations that we have. If we're going to bring our worship to God and yet not resolve conflicts in our lives, then what we bring to God is nothing. We bring we we don't bring him a pure self. We don't bring before him a true worship. We bring before him a rote action and and uh, and, and I mean it's it means it means less if we're not willing to live a life daily where we're restoring ourselves to God and to those around us and renewing those relationships. If if we're not if we're not doing those things day to day, then our worship to God on Sundays and and other times or any time in our life is is meaningless to God and it's more of a more of a problem for us than it is anything else. Well, Ma- Matthew chapter five. Right. You know, the instruction there is to go and make things right first so that your worship to God can be unhindered by this problem that you have. And it's it's interesting because what well, you know, you could say, well, you know, does that apply to, to Christianity because we don't do sacrifice and blah 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 blah. No, 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 no. That's not even the point. The point that Jesus is making is don't let these difficulties with other people interfere with your worship of God. You go make things right with that person because that is what the expectation of a Christian really is. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would we want it any other way? Why would our attitude as a so-called Christian be that, I'm not going to make this thing right with you. And of course, we're not talking about a situation of we've been dealing with this and dealing with this and dealing with this and you can't make it right with a person. We're, we're talking about the type of attitude that says, you're causing a problem for me, so I'm just going to go somewhere else. Why, why would we expect that God would be pleased by that attitude in us? Yeah, and, it, and it's hard. I mean, it is difficult. I mean, nobody... Nobody wants to be in a situation like that, and we have a tendency to take the path of least resistance. We have the tendency to to just say, you know, it'd be easier for me. It would, and, and we might even make make the excuse it'd be easier, it'd be better on the church if if I just went went on and I didn't cause a scene and I just I, you know I take my ball and go home um, and just go somewhere else. Um, but some somewhere along the line, we've started to believe the myth that it shouldn't be hard. You know, it, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be this hard to be part of the church. Well, <laughs> says who? I mean, yes, anytime you have people that are all gathered and assembled together in a body, in a family, I mean, look at our physical families. And 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 it is hard to be a, part, a member of a family. And if you want to be a part of the family of God, which is the church, in, in any congregation, which we need to be, obviously, um, then there's going to be conflict, and you're going to have to deal with people that are difficult. But we don't we don't just say to our brother or sister in our physical family, "Well, you're just hard to get along with, so I'll go find another brother." You know, I mean, that's, that's not how it works. You, your family, you don't you don't divorce yourself from each other. You you figure out how to make it work. And yes, it is going to be hard, and we've got to stop believing the myth that that it that it's not going to be hard, or that you know. Um, 
that that we can just take the path of least resistance, and that's okay, and God's pleased with that. But at the same time, I mean, there there may be times where we do need to have, like, kind of divorce ourselves from certain family members, but that's severe. That's a severe circumstance. That's not just, well, we have a disagreement and we can't get along. It's it's a it it's something different entirely, and and there may be situations for that. But at the same time, you know. We are family, and we can't forget that as Christians, that we are family, that we don't call each other brother just because they used to call each other brother. That's not something that we do just because that's something that they used to say. It's because that's what the Bible tells us that we are, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are a body, a family. We are united. We can't we can't disassociate ourselves from each other, even if we go from here to another congregation. We still have to remember that we're still brothers in Christ, and that we're still we still should have a relationship with each other. If we move to a different congregation, that doesn't solve the problem that we have. It it just means that that's going to be harder to resolve that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, you're just hiding from that problem, and you know you're effectively reacting to it. Uh, and and you know someone might take offense to this idea, but you're effectively reacting to it in a childish way. You're going to your room and you're slamming the door. And that hasn't solved anything, nor has it lessened the responsibility that our parent, God, has placed upon us in how we treat each other. It's not even, you know, we keep using words like making it right or or rectifying the situation, whatever we want to say. But in truth, it really boils down to how do we treat each other as Christians? Because there are a lot of circumstances in which Christians will treat each other worse than they would ever treat someone out in the world. Mm -hmm. Because when they're interacting with someone out in the world, they feel this need to represent God's church. (laughs) And yet when they are in the church with their fellow brothers and sisters, with their Christian family, they don't feel that need. And instead, we treat each other miserably sometimes. We lash out in anger at each other. We don't give each other grace. We refuse to forgive each other. And if, if, you, if you really have a group of people for whom their first thought is, I'm just going to leave this congregation rather than honor my family relationship with this person, then there is a much deeper problem that exists in that person's life. And they really need to go back into the word and make sure that they understand who God is and what their responsibilities are. You know, I mean, the question really asked, is there such a thing as, as congregational loyalty? And the answer of course is no, there's not. If we have any loyalty, it is to Christ alone. And so we have loyalty to his church to his congregation that he has made us a part of. But why do we have that loyalty? It's not because of who we are, it is because of who he is. And so why do I treat you guys with love? And why would I do everything I can to make right with you, not because of who you are or who I am, but because of who he is, because what he has done to me. And so if we would then turn around and say, I'm sorry, brother, I'm just not going to put up with you anymore, then what we're honestly saying is, regardless of what Jesus has put up with in me, 
I'm not going to afford that to you. Mm-hmm. Like and so par- I'm going to go somewhere else. And Jesus ter- tells us the parable about that. He, he's forgiven us of a great debt, and then we turn around to our brother and say, hey, you owe me you know, 10 cents, and you got to give it back or you're going to jail. I mean, it's it, it it's it's ludicrous to even think that, and yet that is precisely what we do, and that's not the attitude that we should have. You know, this this whole time, my brain keeps going back to a song, and um, they'll know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. I, do we ever really think about that? You know, well, no, we think that that's other people. The people outside the building will know we're Christians by our love. But you already know I'm a Christian, so you shouldn't expect to get love from me. Well, and what Jesus said was that they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, you know? And so <laughs> sometimes we think, well, we need to be really loving people, to, like you said, to the people in the world. Uh, but what Jesus actually was saying is that the world will know that you are disciples by the way you love, not the world, but the way you love other disciples. And, mm-hmm. and so sometimes... that's exactly what the world accuses us of. They look at us and they say, well, how come you guys are always fighting and squabbling with each other? You know, and it's like, that's a a legitimate question there sometimes. Well, and sometimes the presence of uh, differences of opinion, of arguments, and even of fights is not a sign that we don't love each other. Right, that's true. In truth, a congregation where nobody ever has any disagreements because they would just leave instead of actually having a disagreement no. Oh, I'm sorry. There are going to be times where we have disagreements. There's going to be times where we have serious conflict. But because I love the people in my church family, I'm not going to leave without sorting that out mm-hmm. or without simply maintaining it. You know, the, there's a difference between uh, systemic problems and or problems with systems and problems with the people who implement systems. You know, the problem with Christianity isn't Christianity. The problem with Christianity is Christians, because we are imperfect, and we are relying on God's grace. And yet, if we don't afford that to each other, if we somehow act like everyone else should always treat me perfectly, we're never going to survive as a family. We're never going to... We're never going to reach the heights of faith that we expect to if we have those kind of attitudes about each other. Yeah. And and don't you think that that sometimes, like so many of the issues we discuss on here, it's it's a matter of maturity and discernment to say, okay, what does this problem what what's the solution to this problem? Because sometimes the solution is just get over it. You know, I mean, sometimes <laughs> honestly, and and I have to tell myself that. I mean, people come up to me and they say, things that are, you know, thoughtless, like they do to every other Christian, you know, and so people sometimes just come up and say thoughtless things, and you think, well, why in the world would you say that? That was rude. But but I'm not going to make a federal case out of it, and, and I've got to go home and say, Wes, don't let this bother you. Get over it, you know? There are plenty of other things to think about and to occupy your mind than this ridiculous comment. They didn't mean it. Get over it. Give them the benefit of the doubt and go on. But there are other times when an issue needs to be addressed and and where you need to go down and you need to sit with your brother and you say listen that really hurt my feelings that that was genuinely rude and i don't know you know why you said that but we need to deal with this and and then then there are other times where somebody 
is in sin, where they are, are, are sinning against, and if they don't repent of that, it needs to be taken to the next level. And I mean, Scripture, it lays it all out there pretty plainly, that if somebody sins against us, we go and we rebuke them, and if they continue and persist in sin, then they need to be disciplined. But, but why? Why do we do that? Right. It never says, if someone sins against you, you go to them and rebuke them for your sake. Right. No, you're going to them because you love them and you no longer want them to be in sin. Right. It still has nothing to do with the offense that they caused you. There's still a huge element of you just get over that and you do this for my glory instead of your own. Yeah. You know, but there's, there's huge swaths of scripture that deal with how we interact with each other, how we treat each other. Romans 12, Philippians 2. I mean, that, that's a, a huge discussion whose entire point is how we need to be treating each other with love because of the love that God has for us. And for us to act like that isn't important, that it isn't vital, and that it's not worth our energy and our time to make happen because I can just go down the road and worship in peace down there. No, I'm sorry, you're still not at peace. Mm-hmm. And that person over here is still your brother. The same way that, you know, when we're talking about it in a positive sense, we say, oh, our our brother's over in this other country and in these other states and everything. But when it's the guy you just don't want to talk to down the street, well, no, no, he's not my brother anymore because he's at another congregation. Nonsense. The scripture gives us lots and lots of information about how we're supposed to behave toward each other. It is obviously really important to God that we do that. When we were talking about this, and we're talking about, again, in the sense of, for the most part, not really do, uh, doctrinal issues, but even then, it sh- it should shouldn't it be exactly the same? Yes. I mean, as a Christian, if it's a big issue or a small issue, if it's a private issue or a public issue, in general, we still need to deal with it the same way. We're brothers and, and sisters in Christ, and we do something about it. What do we do? We go to each other, and we deal with the problem. We don't just let it happen. We don't just push it aside. We don't just go and, and as we've said, just, you know, take our ball and go home. We take care of it. I mean, the best relationship that I have is with my wife. And what do we do anytime we have an issue before we go to sleep? I mean, what does the Bible say? Take care of it before the, the sun goes down. Why? Because you can have a better relationship that way, for one, and it, and it hinders your prayers. It does all these things if we don't take care of it right now. Before the end of the day, if I have a problem, if my wife and I have a problem, what do we do? We, we talk about it. We don't go to sleep until we are right with each other. Why? Because how can our relationship glorify God if we cannot be united? I mean, what is what is the purpose of marriage if we can't be united? If we can't work together, if we can't show our children how people work together, what is, what is the point? I mean, why and, and why do I need to hold on to any kind of anger or frustration or irritation or anything that's going to hinder my ability to have a good relationship with my wife, a good relationship with my friends, a good relationship with, with anyone, if, if it's going to cause a problem with, with my relationship with them or with God? You know, Paul says to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You know, I mean, the idea is that it it requires hard work, and and we ought to be, be zealous about that. We ought to be 
fervent about that. We we've got to to care about maintaining that good relationship. Of course, we would in our marriage, where we you know we, we've we've invested so much in our marriage. So theoretically, you know, you would think, obviously that's not always the case, but as Christians, we work hard at maintaining unity in our marriage because that's a valuable relationship. And so when Christians are so quick to walk away from a relationship with each other, it makes it makes me wonder about myself when I'm quick to do that, when I'm quick to just write somebody off. And let's be honest, at, at a larger congregation, you can do what we're talking about without ever leaving the building. I mean, you could yeah. just sit on the other side of the yeah. auditorium, and you know, even at Baker Heights, we're big enough that you could sit on the other side and, and just never talk to anybody, and, and there'd be no relationship there. When we're quick to do that, to write somebody off, the question is, why isn't that relationship valuable to you? Why why do you not value the unity of the Spirit any more than that, that you're so quick to write somebody off because they hurt your feelings? You know? or, or why does that relationship not exist? Right. You know, a lot of times it's so easy to sacrifice those relationships because it didn't exist in the first place. You know, I don't care about losing you the way I would about losing a, a brother because you're not. I don't have a relationship with you. We. It reminds me of a, a discussion between the difference between nationalism and patriotism. And nationalism is people who are bound together by a common place, whereas patriotism is people who are bound together by a common idea. Hmm. And of course, that's an entirely secular concept, and I'm not here to discuss that. But it, when I read that article, I was thinking to myself of the scriptural implications of that and how God has, has explained to us so thoroughly that his congregation, his assembly of disciples, is not a group of people who are bound together by a like location. Mm-hmm. We are bound together by an idea, by our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And you can't just walk away from your brothers and your sisters, no matter how difficult it gets, if that's true. And if you find yourself, if I find myself able to do that, then I need to ask, I need to examine myself and say, am I only bound to these people by a similar location? We worship together we attend the same church, we go to church together, instead of recognizing that we are bound together by this faith, by this belief, by what Jesus has done for me, and the fact that he did the exact same for you. Mm-hmm. We, we need to make sure that that's actually why we're here. Right, and it, and it changes that idea, the idea that binds us together— has doctrinal implications and it has relational implications and sometimes we don't acknowledge that we don't realize that that it and it's not just one or the other it seems like so many in the church just want to make it about doctrine and then the other side of the church just wants to make it about relationships let's just be nice to each other doctrine doesn't have anything to do with it and the other side says no 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 it's all about doctrine it doesn't have anything to do with being nice to each other and it's like no i don't know that either one of us are reading the bible in its entirety because it's both it is both doctrine and relationships and if we can't emphasize both uh, then we're not making uh, the application of the new testament the way we should in in either case we are manipulating our belief 
in service of our own needs. And what Paul says in multiple times in his letters is that we are supposed to treat each other as more important than ourselves. Right. So if that's true, if my brothers and sisters in Christ are more important to me than even myself, then how dare I try and manipulate God's word into allowing me to better serve myself instead of better serve you. And I think that the reason we don't do that, I think the reason or the reason I don't sometimes look out for other people above myself and I feel like I've got to look out for number 1. If if I don't look out for me and take care of me, then nobody will. That's the problem. The problem with my thinking is that I leave God out of the equation. If we really understand the gospel and that Jesus vindicates us, Jesus will make everything right in the end, that my enemies, for better or for worse, God will take care of that. I don't have to worry about my enemies or my friends or my rights or any of those things. I don't have to worry about me. The Lord has me taken care of. I just have to be his man, and I have to take care of what I'm supposed to do. And that's why Romans 12, that's why I can love my enemies and feed them, because I don't have to worry about whether or not justice is going to be served, because I know justice was served at the cross, and on the day of judgment, justice will be ultimately served, and I don't have to worry about it. That's not up to me. Vengeance is his. I My job is to take care of my enemies. And so even as that pertains to brothers and sisters in the church— I don't, I don't have to worry about my rights. I don't have to worry about sticking up for what I deserve. The Lord is already taken care of. <laughs> I, I deserve punishment, obviously, and I, I've received grace. And, and so I don't have to worry about my rights or what I deserve, but, but sometimes we don't remember the gospel, and that affects our relationships. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the relationships that we have with people in the church and, and being wronged and then taking it before a public, a public council or public, uh, public judges. Wouldn't it be better to be wronged? And the the idea that I I would like to to put there is basically maybe I'm anyway uh, the idea that I'm I see that there is that if I do something that is seen by the world and gives Christ the gives the wrong image of Christ that I need to need to think about that. Wouldn't it be better to be wrong or wronged? Not wrong, but wouldn't it be better to be wronged in the eyes of the world or or others? Than to than to act in such a way that I I give the wrong impression of who Christ is. Wouldn't that be better, whether it's in the church or outside of the church? Wouldn't it be better to to release my rights as as uh, you were just saying, release the things that I think I deserve, and give that back to God and say you you are the one who gave me any rights that I have, and I know that you hold those dear. And I don't have to worry about that. But but when it comes to these relationships, it would be better to just say, you know what, you can slap me in the face. You can you can cut my arm off. You can cut my hand off. You can do whatever you want to to me. You can torture me. But I will still allow these things to happen to me because I trust in Him. I trust in Him. I fear God above everything else. I trust in Him. And isn't that the idea of meekness? I mean, and all throughout the New Testament, we see that that quality, and even in Jesus himself, the one who, if, if anyone has rights, Jesus had rights. I mean, mm-hmm. he deserved to be, Amen. for people to bow down and worship him. He deserved to, to, to come in as the king, yet he came in in meekness and lowliness, and, and he asks us 
to be that way, to be sheep and, and, and live in a meek way. Not to say I don't have rights, not to say that I, I don't um, deserve to be treated well by people, but even when we're not, not to act like we, we should be, not to force people to treat us in a certain way, not to force people to, to be kind and nice to us, but to just be meek and to, to surrender ourselves for the good of others and for the glory of God. Um, and, and again, I mean, it, is, it takes discernment and wisdom to say, okay, what's the appropriate God-honoring response in this situation or that situation. And, you know, circumstances are different here and there, but if we if we say, I want to be like Christ, and I want to glorify the Lord in everything I do, and I want to be diligent to maintain and preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, I mean, if we, we set our minds and our hearts to do that, we'll come up with the right conclusions. We'll be able to discern the will of God, what is right and good and, and pleasing to Him. You know, if if we trust God, we believe His Word, then we have to understand that we cannot be a part of His body and be isolated from each other. And a lot of times we like to act like I became a part of Christ's body, but it's just me and Him. Mm-hmm. Just me and you, Lord. You got my back, I got yours. And he says, no, you are a part of my body, as is this person, this person, this person, all these people. And you have responsibilities to them as much as you have to me. You know, we we fail to understand the word congregation, Mm -hmm. the word assembly, the word body, because through it all, we still want to have, you know, even if we, we don't try and come to God on our own terms, which a lot of people try that, we will come to God on his terms, but still demand that we be a lone wolf about the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'll come to you, but I'm not coming to them. And that's simply not an option. You want to come to Christ, you got to be a part of his body. You want to be a part of his body, then you have to have your brothers and sisters as part of your family. And then you have all of the responsibilities that comes with that. Yeah. And why would we why would we shirk that? You want someone to have that respect for you and that love for you too. If you do something to them, you want them to be able to have that relationship with you so that you can rectify that too. If we if we shirk these responsibilities, then we're also shirking the benefits of it. Right. Because no right. one is treating us Amen. that way. You know, and and what makes this discussion work is the fact that all of us have that relationship. All of our wives have that relationship. So much faith has grown through these relationships, and it hasn't been because none of us ever disagree. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't ever been because none of us are difficult people. I'm a difficult person to be friends with. There you go, see? (laughs) But we, we... if we shirk those responsibilities, if we shirk the difficulties that come with it, then we also cast aside any benefits. And that's why God built his congregation that way. You know, and and you know, going back to it, there's a secondary aspect of what's dangerous about congregational loyalty. If we decide that I'm loyal to this set of people, then a lot of times we will justify 
doing things or allowing things to take place that are not correct, that are not doctrinally correct, because, well, I need to be loyal to this local place instead of loyal to Christ first. You know, so we, we just need to shake that entire idea out of our mind. I'm not loyal to this congregation. I am loyal to Christ because I'm a part of his body. I'm a part of his family. And so are you, and all the implications of that, both positive and negative, are there. Mm-hmm. Of course, there really are no negative implications. There are responsibilities. Right. But those are positive responsibilities as well. We just need to make sure we understand what we're doing when we come before God. Right. So it means when we're loyal to Christ and to his body, that means I'm loyal to my brethren wherever I find them. And and that means right now, I, I mean, if we can think of a relationship that we've done this with, you know, that we've we've shoved under the rug, you know, that we've maybe gone to the other side of the congregation or we've gone to a different congregation or whatever, we still, right now, have an obligation to go back, you know, and that, going back to what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your gift to the altar and go and, and reconcile. And I mean, to me, that that speaks so highly of the priority of reconciliation and that God puts a priority on that. God puts, God says, this is more important than worship. And like James said, it hinders our worship when we refuse to do it. And it and we have not, we have not removed that responsibility from ourselves just by distancing ourselves from that person. If if we can, we need to do everything we can, everything within our power to live at peace with all men and to be reconciled to to anyone with whom there's a conflict. How can you say that you love Christ if you don't love your brother? I was thinking the example of Paul and Barnabas. And and when is there an example that's good to, you know, it's better that I go my own way and we can accomplish more. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, that's an excellent example, you know, because you have Paul who has this relationship with Barnabas. You have Paul who has this relationship with Mark. And while we are not given the specifics of how they rectified that relationship, it is made perfectly clear that they did rectify that relationship. And the decision had to be made, well, I'm going to travel over here and you guys are going to travel over here. That wasn't the same as us taking our ball going home. That was, you know what? We can cover more territory this way. Let's just go do it. You know, they had that disagreement, but they rectified that relationship. Yeah, I I think it would be more akin to working on working on two different projects and saying listen we just can't work on this same project together or this same ministry or the same you know whatever terms you want to put it in then we just can't have a relationship with each other and I don't want to talk to you again I I think that it would be more akin to something like that to saying we just can't work together on this rather than because obviously somehow they did work it out and it would have been really easy just to say, well, I'll live on a different side of the world than you. You know, I mean, I'll just live on a different, um, you know, different landmass than you. But they didn't. They they figured out how to work out their problems. Well, and and it's not that they decided to never work together again either. Right, you know? right. And, and I love that the, the person who the disagreement was about, you know, we, we don't hear specifically about how Paul rectified with Barnabas. We simply right. know and understand that he did because it's later on Paul's saying, you send this person to me who I had this big problem with before mm-hmm. because he's useful to me. 
he rectified with that person, not just his relationship with Barnabas, which, you know, he had that lasting relationship. Barnabas was the person who brought him into the, mm-hmm. the congregation in Jerusalem and all these other things. You know, you could understand him going back and fixing that friendship that they had already there. But no, he rectified the relationship that he had with Mark. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he was useful for his work. He was useful for the glory of God because the entire relationship that he had, both Barnabas and Mark, was about glorifying God. And he was willing to do what it took. I mean, that's that's a beautiful example. It's a brilliant example that I wish we studied more as men. A big thanks to all of our guests and to Cameron McElyer for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707-238-2216. That's 707-238-2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.